0: Welcome to LoveWise Relationship Radio, bringing you love stories, advice, and open conversations for finding and nurturing true and lasting love. More wisdom at TrishaBennett.com. I'm Trisha Bennett, a couples and family therapist in practice for over 30 years. On behalf of myself, my co-hosts, and all of our guests, welcome and enjoy. I have a very special guest and a very special invitation for you today. I like to say that as women, the best is always ahead of us. We get better as we age. We all want to feel sexy, confident, vibrant, and successful with the energy of our 30s and the wisdom of our current age. Today, I want to share with you an amazing free 14-day online mega event the extraordinary life after 40 Summit will reach tens of thousands of women, helping us to balance our hormones and enhance every area of our lives, from fulfilling our purpose and having loving relationships to mind-blowing sex, vibrant health, abundance, and much, much more. Grab a pen so that I can give you the link to register and join me and women around the world. In this free mega event starting October 21st. Ready? Here's the link Extraordinary Life After 40.com forward slash REF forward slash Tricia plus Bennett. Again, Extraordinary Life After 40, that's com forward slash REF forward slash Tricia, T-R-I-C-I-A, the plus sign, B-E-N-N-E-T-T. It's truly an honor for me to be featured alongside other world-renowned experts such as Alison Armstrong, Ariel Ford, Julie Hannon, Marcy Shimoff, and Catherine Woodward Thomas. I hope you'll join us. In honor of us all having an extraordinary life, in this episode, musician James Taylor's amazing mother is going to treat you to some tidbits of her extraordinary life. Trudy Taylor passed away in 2015 at the age of 93. She lived an extraordinary life and inspired other women to do the same, right to and through the last moments of her life. Originally posted in 2013... It is my pleasure to introduce her again. We are blessed to know Trudy as an extraordinary woman among women, a dear friend, a neighbor, and a mentor, and we are so excited to be able to share her with you. In an afternoon with Women on Martha's Vineyard, she shared with us her childhood, love, and marriage, raising children, caring for yourself, and living life fully as a woman. We are continually inspired by her clarity, her vision, and purpose, and we are certain that you will be, too. Enjoy Trudy Taylor, Part 1. So, um, I always struggle with how to introduce Trudy. I refer to her as the ninth natural wonder of the world. Um, I always say that I wish I could zip-drive her. Which is like take a little thumb drive and plug it in right here and download everything that's in there. It would take me the rest of my life to study it. (laughs) I have known Trudy for about 20 years. I love her so dearly. She has taught me so much about life. And uh, she helped me when my mom died to know what to keep of her belongings and what to let go of. There was a woman on the island who died about 10 years ago, and she used to say, if you're paying attention in life, you'll almost always find that you get a second chance at everything. Mm -hmm. And I never had a mom. I never knew my mother. She was sick when I was born and was sick until she died. And I feel like... I can't even say that Trudy's like a mother to me because she's really just an amazing woman, just an amazing friend. And um, I've gotten so much wisdom from her. And I get that in Trudy's life, a lot of times people experience her as the mother of five amazing children. And I experience her as as an amazing woman with five children <laughs> like a, 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 a woman of five children who have an amazing mother and so that's really how I experienced Trudy and there's a I, I've been in AA for a long time and there's an expression in AA you can't keep it unless you give it away and so I feel like everything that I have in my life I feel so blessed to have that I want to share it as often as I possibly can. And Trudy is one of those blessings in my life that I feel like I want to share as often as I possibly can. So whenever she has the energy, I drag her out of the house and you know stick her in front of a bunch of women so that I can share her and her wisdom. When we were planning this talk, I asked about eight women to be on a phone call with me. To help me put some questions together, questions that all women today would want to know the answers to. And the thing that was so astounding to me is every time I would ask her a question, I would I wanted her to answer it in a particular way and she wasn't doing that. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> and I thought to myself, why is she not answering these questions the way I think she should be, with the way I want her to answer them? And what I realized is that I wanted her to talk about a woman's purpose. I wanted her to talk about how we as women can discover who we really are as women. And I wanted her to talk about where women can find their self-esteem. And I remembered that she had said to me once that when she was a child that the word self-esteem did not exist, that there was no issue of self-esteem. And that there would never be an issue of having women friends or needing women in your life because it was a given. Everyone had women in their life. And that knowing what your purpose was, was also a given. It was like, why would I need to even think about that? I I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. So what I want you to do is listen to a woman who has always known who she is, has always known what her purpose was, has always had women surrounding her and teaching her, and never heard the word self-esteem until after <laughs> we were all born.
1: Thank you, Tricia.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but
1: I'm an 87-year-old woman. I was raised, we are all different. Each one of us comes from a different place. But I was raised in the... Um, North of here, Newburyport, Massachusetts. I was born in Newburyport. The house of the hospital when I was born, I was told, was in quarantine for something. So uh, I was born in my mother's uh, sister's house. I don't even know whether anyone attended her. I was big when I was born, and I think she was very very uncomfortable. Anyway, the house no longer exists, but it was next door to the beautiful little uh, Episcopal church, so the minister of that church always considered my family, my my mother and father's family, and my aunt's family, as there as his parishioners, although we were never raised in a religion. Anyway, that I don't want to dwell on that very much. The house in which I was born no longer exists, it's now a superhighway. So when I drive myself down the superhighway, I say, this is about where I was born. (laughs) We lived on a salt marsh island, which is an island uh, with bedrock of granite beneath it, holding it up, surrounded by uh, salt marsh meadows that, that flood during hurricanes or extremely high tides. And there were probably 50 houses or so on the island. I was trying to count them in my head the other night. Uh, they were all the same kind of people. It was a homogeneous group of probably second or third generation English people, mostly from the first settlers. So we were raised in a we're in a community that was separate. It was Newburyport. It was in the mouth of the Merrimack River. There were five of us. Um, Three generations of my father's family had lived in the house before us. So everyone knew us. Um, We knew everyone else to a point, but um, I went to the public. Uh, My father was a commercial fisherman and a boat builder. And um, during the depression, he was was very successful. He was very clever. My brother calls him a, a Yankee trader, really. He, everything he did he he had an overview of what would happen and uh he and my mother were married I don't know how my brother would know i i depend on him for a lot of facts um but um we were what 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 we were were kind of saltwater Yankees down east Yankees the real thing we're not like Edo Potter is the real thing I'm a real saltwater Yankee. So take a good look. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my, I have uh, five siblings, Most of, uh, several of them artists, who are very genuinely interested in the arts. And a brother who's a geologist and recently retired from academic geology. Anyway, my mother and father were like this. Uh, if uh, I think having four daughters and one son, if we ever went to my father, we tried it, I tried it once, and to complain about yeah, my mother, he would say, <laughs> "Never complain to me about your mother she's a wonderful person, so he saved himself a lot of trouble <laughs> If you went to her and said, "Father did this or I don't like this, she'd say, never criticize your father to me, ever, because if you're, you'll be very fortunate if you ever find a man as good as your father. So, what do you talk about? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, they also never, I never heard them argue my father, if you can believe it, when he was in the third grade, took an oath to one of those groups of people who were very active uh, at the time uh, who were anti-alcohol. Uh, uh, I've forgotten what they were oh, called. Patients. But anyway, the, the woman ga- came into the third grave and evidently uh, uh, convinced these children, told them a few stories about the dangers of alcohol, and then she asked for a show of third-grade children taking a pledge that they would never drink period he never drank and his whole life thank god because it really is good to raise children in an alcohol-free environment i mean totally uh, not for the usual reasons but looking at it from a distance now i think that alcohol can really cause enormous problems for children because the parents, some of them are born alcoholics, and as the drinking progresses and the illness progresses, the children are caught in a terrible predict- uh, You know, if you want a little wine or beer or something with dinner or something, it's great, but that's, that's not what a lot of kids have to put up with. And um, anyway, uh, my, my father never, he told us once that we were never to criticize a teacher, you know. He didn't want to hear that kind of thing. He thought it was ridiculous. He said, you know, next year you'll have another teacher. And he didn't want to get involved with the school and the te- teachers and stuff on that level. I can, I can see him, you know. And um, so we never were allowed to, to uh, ever criticize a teacher. And we, he told us stuff like, um, if you're ever in trouble and need help, go to a policeman. So uh, we had that knowledge that we were kind of safe out in the community because all we had to do was to approach a policeman and tell him what the problem was. And uh, it was a time when, um, I was born in 1922, it was a time when authority was respected. The principal of the school, the superintendent of the school would make a visit in the classroom a couple of times a Year and we'd all stand by our desks and we'd, mm-hmm. we were told that the, he was going to be coming around 10 o'clock and so we'd all stand up and we'd say good morning Dr. Spaulding and then we'd sit down again mm-hmm. children were not encouraged ever to speak up in, in class time because there was too much to do trying to teach us to, to read and write there were probably 35, 37 in a class, no aids. Lots of singing music, though. We started every day singing. Anyway, that's a little bit about me. I went through the local uh, public schools. I loved the grade school. The first year I went to a dilapidated uh, school that was being closed down the following year in Newburyport because they'd built this beautiful, this was during the Depression, they'd built this beautiful new school in the the city and uh, really really wonderful and during the depression the government had the uh, public works administration and they built thousands of post offices and schools and bridges and roads and uh, lots of uh, wonderful things in fact they even they even got um, people uh, everyone was out of work and they, got, they invented jobs for people like uh, artists. They would have them put murals in the post offices. So, so a lot of them are there today. Or write a book, if they were an author, uh, about uh, all the major American rivers, the history of these rivers and stuff. Uh, it was amazing what they, what they got done on a public basis. And um, anyway, I quit school. The first, my first experience with high school, I quit. Uh, for about two months, I think. I just went into the principal's office and said, I'm not going to come to school anymore. And he said, um, he asked me what I had for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I don't know, a little a hot cereal, um, you know, like that, um, et cetera. And he said, uh, do your parents know about this? I said, no, but they'll know when I go home. So I was a little bit scared, little upset about telling my mother that I'd quit school so I remember that day I, I walked home from the school we did a lot of walking and I said to as soon as I saw her I said mother I stopped going to school today and she said um, oh what are you going to do I said I don't know but I'm not uh, I'm not going to that school anymore She didn't call the counselor or the psychiatrist. There weren't any. Freud wasn't around then. Um, You know, she said, "Well, okay." I'm thinking, what am I going to do with her now? You know, because my sister, my older sister, was five years older than I, and uh, she was the the model to fit all models. You know, she was perfection. So all straight-A student, and I never heard her complain about school in any way. And athletic and artistic and you name it, she was it. Um, so anyway, I said, I'm not, I don't know, but I'm going to go to some libraries and discover, I've been ride a lot on my bicycle, I said, and I'm just going to take, take time off. So then after a couple of weeks, I enrolled in another school, another high school in Amesbury, Massachusetts. And, of course, I was coming in in the middle of the winter and uh, not knowing a soul in either of these schools. I didn't know anybody. And I was 13 years old, just turned 14, and uh, I knew it wasn't for me. So I went to the second school, and they put me in whatever classes they wanted to put me in and one day after two weeks I was stirring I had a, a, a I was one of my classes was a cooking class and of course no way to teach cooking. But anyway I was standing there with a little whisk stirring stirring a white sauce over a Bunsen burner. And I said, This isn't going to work either. <laughs> so I had to go into the principal's office again. <laughs> And say, um, uh, I'm not coming to school anymore. And he was pretty cut and dried about it. And he said, oh, well, okay, you know, that's okay. And he didn't ask me anything. So then I took the rest of the year off. And then I don't know what I did, but I was filled with projects. And then I started the new school in your report. And I decided that I was ready to be in high school then. So what I did was I took a year off and just wrote it off. Then when I went back as a freshman again, I had a, a much better idea about why I wanted to be there. I just I didn't know what was there, but I was willing to take a risk on it. And I was like that all through high school. I got very involved in the, in the school. I ran things, I was uh, in the senior play, I sang all the time. I sang all these years, by the way, I sang everywhere. There's not a public building in Newburyport that I haven't sung in as a child. So anyway, I started studying singing when I was uh, 13. That's when I quit school the first time. And I'd go on my bicycle to study singing with Mrs. Clara Beale, Wonderful woman. And she taught me all these things about the voice and how to use it. And she taught me uh, how to sing on vowels, using vowels. And she taught me, uh, she exposed me to all the early Italian operas. They're absolutely beautiful. You never really hear them except in concert, in recital. I was crazy about her. And then uh, I decided that I was going to, uh, when I was in high school, for A few months I decided I was going into Boston, if they'd let me in the high school, and go in to Boston and go to the conservatory. So I had to talk the conservatory, the head of the conservatory at the time, into giving me a scholarship. I wanted to be there on scholarship. I didn't want to ask my father to do this. I don't know why. He certainly would have done it, but I didn't want to. So I got a scholarship, and two days a week I went in while I was in the rest of high school. I also went to the conservatory, which meant my leaving high school, that's the only way I could be there, really. And, but they put up with me. They were very, once they got to know me, they, they encouraged me a whole lot in the high school. So high school worked out eventually very well for me. But um, anyway, that's my background a bit. I went to the conservatory, and I had the opportunity to go to a, an amazing place in Boston called the Graduate House, which was a residence but also a school on Beacon Hill run by a woman who probably was in her 70s when she ran it, and she headed in Boston and then in Florence. She had a house in Florence and took music and art students, so I so I was where I wanted to be with music and art students, and um, so it was a, And she used. She knew how to use everything in Boston. Um, the the museum school, the conservatory, the symphony, Harvard professors. She'd get to come in and lecture us at night. Uh, it was it was so amazingly perfect because we used the whole city without the trauma of living in a terrible, huge, you know, 15-story dormitory and all that goes on with that. So, um, in a way, I found what I needed in my life, and uh, I think that's a lot of what you have to do. You have to find what you're passionate about and where you feel comfortable and find it.
0: We hope you've enjoyed part one with Trudy Taylor. Join us for part two where Trudy tells us about her divine plaid suit and how at 22 she met her amazing husband. Well, that's it for this episode. We thank you for joining the conversation and hope that you've been inspired. For access to more about our programs and publications, please visit trishabennett.com. If you're a married woman with a great love story that you'd like to share here, please let us know by messaging us at our contact page. Until next time, thanks for listening, and we wish you love.